This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need a Bible, raise your hand so we can get you a Bible. We're in Matthew chapter 5 today, continuing our series through Forsaken Kingdom. Last week, we started to cover the five things that Jesus addresses concerning the law. The first two things we covered, does anybody remember? You guys. Violence was the first thing. How about the second thing? Adultery. The first two of the five, that's today. So the first two were violence and adultery. Don't murder anybody by murdering them in your heart. I actually thought of that Bible study for application purposes this past week. So this big truck driver cut me off like on purpose and I was like taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus in my mind of thinking the things that I'd like to do to him. Not one giggle, huh? You guys think I'm serious? You think I'd kill somebody? Well, whatever. And then we go into the three, the next three, which are swearing, revenge, and hating your enemy. The second one really isn't revenge. We're going to talk about that more in a second here. And thinking about God's kingdom, we should consider the implications of being part of his kingdom. Now, when I say that, what I mean is if you're part of a culture, if you're part of a society, you start to function in cohesion with each other a certain way. I was with a friend watching basketball last week, which I never do and will never do again, but we were watching basketball, and there was this really gigantic white guy that was playing, and I said, when I saw him, almost immediately I said, I know where that guy's from. I know where he's from. He's from either Serbia or Croatia, and then it zoomed in on the jersey, and then he had a surname that's from that area, and then sure enough, we look it up, and he's a Serbian player, because I was around those people for so long that I can pick them out by how they look or even by how they talk, even even when you, when you live with a certain kind of people for, for uh, any amount of time, integrating into their culture, their thought process, their thinking We had to learn how to share the gospel with somebody who thinks about things completely differently than how you think about things. And that is kind of a a cultural representation as well. Um, Think of when we talk about culture, think of uh, we, we look at sociology, anthropology. Those were my favorite class was a sociology, anthropology class in college before I went to Bible college, because who knew the Lord had me working with people for the rest of my life. But I was really intrigued by culture and different people. Think of it this way. It's not just people, groups, or demographics. It is uh, like in a little dish. It's a petri dish of living organisms that are cultivated and made to, to, to be examined and and identify certain things. So people are like that as well, and you have certain tendencies and characteristics based on the Petri dish you live in, the culture that you live in. 
And, and what we're trying to get across to you, me and Jesus this morning, what we're trying to get across to you is that you, you should be expressing kingdom culture, Jesus culture. The, the title of today's message is cultural expressions. So the way that you respond to people is not necessarily filtered through the gospel. You're making yourself respond a certain way. It's more like you're responding because you're a part of that culture. Does that make sense to you this morning at all? I wrote this down when I was thinking, culture isn't something that you do. Culture is something that you are. Culture isn't a checklist, it's the people that you surround yourself with and, and what has already been cultivated in you. This is why it's so important for us to go to church, to be around other Christians, because we start hanging out with people and bad character corrupts good morals, right? And yes, you can be a Christian or you can say that you're a Christian and not really be in solid fellowship. But the question is, how much are you really going to be able to grow divorcing yourself or, or uh, taking yourself out of the culture where you're able to grow and be in a healthy environment where the expressions that come from that are connected to the Bible, to God's word? Let's go ahead and pray. Get our minds in the right place. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, God, and we thank you that it's alive, that it's living, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and that it's for our instruction. It's for us to know you better. It's for us to draw closer to you, to draw near to you, and that's what we want to do this morning, Lord. We want to draw near to you. We want to hear your heartbeat. We want to be submitted so fully to being part of your family that that's how other people identify us. And we're so immersed in your culture that that's what's expressed through our lives. Thank you for that time of worship, Father, and, and the fruit of the lips that we can give to you also for the studying of your word and application, God. We want that to be worship towards you and then our tithes and offerings, Lord. We don't want no, no compulsion here. Just to, we want to worship you with everything that we do and everything that we say. We thank you, God, for this gathering of our brothers and sisters together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Where are we at again today? Just kidding. You guys are a rough crowd. Matthew chapter 5, we have the last three, which very conveniently for me and for you, means we have three points. What I'm going to do, instead of just making these three points to you, I'm going to ask you three questions. And I'm going to ask you to answer these questions. I'll give you the answer eventually. But I'm going to ask you to answer these questions and then help, uh, it'll help you as we develop and work through them, starting here uh, in question one. But before we do, let's back up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. This is what Jesus said before we started this five-part or five-point two messages. I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word, God's law to us. 
So we have to remember that these last three that were given and the five total that were given were not given them as additional law. Jesus isn't upping the ante, and we're going to really focus on that with the last point. But he does it to show that it's the expression of our hearts which truly allow us to identify with God's kingdom or with the kingdoms of this world. Okay, so chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, nor for its God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Again, verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Now, what Jesus is talking about here, swearing and oath keeping is, is promises or committing yourself to do something. Do we understand that? We're not talking about bad words. We're talking about a, a verbal or legal commitment that you make to do something. How many of you swear or take oaths? Raise your hand. Come on, guys, you do it all the time. When, when Apple updates their software and they say, here's your new iOS, sorry, Apple haters, but when, when your device gets upgraded, you have to accept the terms of service and you, that's what you're doing. You're, you're accepting. The, so we all do. We all do. And, and, and again, we're not adding this to the law saying this is an extra thing that you have to do. This is an expression of the heart from us as part of a culture, a Jesus culture, a kingdom culture. So here's your first question. Are you guys tracking with me a little bit? Here's the first question if you're taking notes. Why do people take oaths or swear? Why do you make promises? Why do you make oaths or swear? Now, I know I've asked the first service, and it was more interactive. We talked about it a little bit. I'm not going to give you the opportunity to give me the wrong answer. So multiple people that, we've, that I've talked to, that we, we, we kind of get fixed or, or stuck on the process of why, not the absolute why. The process of why is because people are jerks. They don't keep their word. You've got to nail somebody down and make sure they're going to do what you agree. That's, that's, that's all the process. But what's the purpose? What's the real purpose? purpose. The real purpose is, and we're going to throw it up here on the screen for you, it's to get something that you want. You make an oath or an agreement or you, you say that you will or will not do something so that you benefit in some way. So what's the real issue that Jesus is targeting here? I believe and there's other people that, that would agree with me that the real issue is Jesus is targeting selfishness. He's talking about motivation, and he's talking about the motivation that people in the world have to make oaths and the motivation that you have as a Christian to say that you're going to do something or other and following through on that. This is why we see here, he develops it a little bit more. He says, neither by uh, heaven, for it is God's throne. 
I swear by the moon. I swear by the stars. It's not yours. You can't deliver that. But you think that just because you, you do something that's grandiose and, and uh, incomprehensible that people are going to take you more seriously? It's not yours. Whose is it? He says, this is where, my, that's where, where God's throne is. You can't swear by something that's mine. And he goes on and says, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. How many people swear by the earth? I swear this, that, the other thing. If this doesn't happen, I'm going to do this. If this happens, I'm going to do that. Jesus says the earth, if, if heaven is his throne, he uses the earth to kick his feet up and relax on. And guess what else? He uses it as a footstool, but also it's not your possession. It's his possession. It's, it's not in your ability or capacity to make any promises based on the earth, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. They would swear by Jerusalem because it was the, the chosen city. It's, and it's not yours. We can grab it as a people, right? How many of you are Vegas born? Yeah, Vegas born! I was born in Vegas, so I can say that. And the two people that raised their hand, God bless you both, you can say that because you were born here too. All the rest of y'all, I don't care if you were a hockey fan before or after, you're not Vegas born because, I'm just kidding, I get it. Hockey team was born here and you're a fan, that's fine, okay. But we can take confidence in a place. In fact, everywhere that I've lived in the world, I think I've shared this with you before, everywhere that I've lived in the world, those people think that they're the greatest on the earth. And if it's not just generally, there's definitely some specific things that, yeah, the world's kind of cool, but we kill it in this. We do it better than everybody else. And we lay claim to this. And this famous person is from us. And for the Jews, what could they say? They could lay claim to, to the Jewish people, the chosen people. And what would be the epitome of that? Jerusalem, we are the, the children of Abraham. And he says, it's not, that city's not yours. You can't swear by Jerusalem. That's the city of the great king. Oh, that's interesting. King kind of triggers what kind of thing that we're talking about here is a kingdom, which means which kingdom or culture are we identifying more with? And that is going to be the expression of how we live our life. Not because we have to, not because culture is what you do, because culture is what you are. It's the expression of what has sunk in and started to develop life through your life nor swear by your head because you cannot make uh, one hair white or black. Some of you think that you can make one hair white or black. <laughs> Every three, two or three months or so, I go get my roots touched up. So No, but we know that you're not a natural redhead. We know that you're not blonde. You might want to act like it and throw people off, but you're not. That was supposed to be a joke. I'm sorry. I feel bad now. I feel people offended. It was just a joke. Even what you think that you are in possession of and control of, you're not really, right? Like my head. If there's one thing that I'm in charge of, what, what, does, what do you think I believe? What do you think Jesus might even be speaking deeper of? The hairs of your head or, the, or your head, your thinking, your brain, who you think you are. 
it's, it's not really yours. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm thankful that, that my father raised me in a way. I still remember having one particular conversation with him as he was a business owner. I remember having a conversation with him. He said, Tim, you don't even have to sign the bottom of the paper. If you say you're going to do it, you had better do it. Your word is your bond. And I didn't know, I don't even know if my dad knew that he was teaching me as a young boy at that time in my life a kingdom principle. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And very many times I will say this to somebody. They'll ask me a question and I'll say, you know what? Can I give you an answer another time? Can I think about this? Can I pray about this? I don't want to try to, you know, quasi off the cuff commit to something because I need to take this seriously. It's my word. I'm saying yes or no. How many people do you know? You guys know these kind of people? The kind of people that say they're going to do something. I'll meet you there. I'll be there for that holiday. I'll do this with you. And you know that they're not going to show. You know they're not going to be there. And it's just like, you know what? You should come to church with me. Pastor Tim is teaching in Matthew chapter 5. Maybe it'll snap out of you. You didn't think that. But you understand this world the culture that's outside of the church, it's almost like gotten to the point where it's okay to change your mind, like on a whim. I just read an article that said, I don't even want to go there. I'm sorry. Let's stop. Let's, let's stop that. Come up and ask me afterward. We'll talk about it later. Okay. The world says, yes, I'll do it. And, and if I didn't sign something, no, I'm not going to do it. And it should be okay with you. And then that kind of creeps in. And we think that we can do that in our own lives. We think because everybody else can do it, we can do it and it'll be fine. It's, it's not okay. It's not the correct expression of the heart of God by letting your yes be yes and your no be no. And let's take this to the next step. Okay. What did we say was the reason for making an oath of promise or swearing. What was the reason? For personal benefit, right? Now read this last verse with that in mind. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. From the devil? From the devil, yeah. The devil says, I'll make a deal with you. Make a deal with the devil? Me, never. So I say no. And then he hits you again, and he hits you again, and he wears you down. And come at it from this angle. Don't look at it so black and white. You're so, you're so closed-minded. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the Bible? Look how beautiful this tree is. You like pretty stuff. Look at this blingy fruit. You can eat it. God won't care. What happens is when we want so badly to get something for our benefit that we're willing to commit ourselves in another area, we start to manipulate the situation for our own personal gain. And God says, for kingdom culture, for Jesus culture, I don't want you guys to look like that. I don't want you to be in the business of manipulation. I want people to know what to expect when they have a conversation with you. I want people to understand that when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it because you not only represent me, you not only represent that you're my son and my daughter, but you represent a group of people who say that they believe something. And I think that that, really church, 
Listen to me if you haven't heard anything yet. I think that that is the biggest travesty when the church starts to be okay with compromise in its representation to the world of who Jesus is. And it starts on the individual basis and then it grows to the corporate and then it ends up being apostasy. Whatever is more than these is from the evil one. <coughs> Excuse me. Number two, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. How many of you is this your favorite verse in the Bible? Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. That's my life verse. Go ahead, smack me. See what happens. Just kidding, it wasn't. If anyone wants to sue you, and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. I really like how all five of these things that we talked about last week and this week, there are churches or people who have taken those things and created new law to apply to people in the church. When We know that that's not what Jesus' intention was, except this one. <laughs> Nobody's making laws in the church to be trampled all over. And the last one's kind of tough too, right? You did notice that it's getting harder and harder, isn't it? Violence, yeah, I'm not kind of a violent guy anyway. Adultery, yeah, it's not really that big of a deal to me. Oaths and swearing, I'm pretty serious about what I say. Oh yeah, but what about when other people take advantage of you? Smack you, sue you. How do you respond? Now, again, it's not the action so much because culture is not what you do. It's what you are. It's not so much of you checking off the box. They wronged me. They smacked me. I'm going to let them smack. It's a natural response to the big example of who did fulfill all of these things even greater than the law. Jesus. He literally allowed them to beat him as an innocent man. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your cloak, give to him who asks you from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, we would say, and some of your Bibles in the head may say revenge, but that's not really what this is, is it? That's not really what this is. This is more along the lines of justice than revenge, isn't it? That's what an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's you take my eye, I take yours. You take my car, I take yours. You punch out my tooth in the third period with two minutes to go on a power play, I punch out yours. It's justice. Now here's your question. If you're a note taker and you're following along, remember I told you three questions. I'm not going to not let you hear the second question. Why do people want justice? Why do people want justice? Uh, and the, most of the responses at first are because it's right, because it's just, because it's fair. We got that, because it's fair. But why do people really want justice? to be righted 
for a wrong. Something was taken away from me that I valued. Now I want it to be righted and I want to be repaid, to be righted for a wrong. And you and I both understand that we submit ourselves to and agree with the process of justice for somebody getting what they deserve. But when it comes to kingdom culture, and if we're to have an expression of culture like our Lord's, we should process through those situations that we're in differently than the rest of the world processes through them. We don't respond in the same ways when people treat us this way. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, for whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And we've already seen and talked about how this is in direct contrast to the way that the rest of the world lives. Number three, our third point. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I like that verse. Maybe we can just stop it there. Make a plaque on the wall. You have heard it said, you, can, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, period. No more verses, but that's not how it works. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus, come on. Like, why are you turning it up so much? This is crazy. This is why. Because Jesus is teaching us to have a different kind of cultural perspective. Do you know how people respond to where they came from? They respond to certain things um, by where they came from. You guys have heard the expression, forgive me for offending anybody, but, but you can take the girl out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the girl. It's a cultural expression. It's just a, it's an example, okay? <laughs> you can take the boy out of the ghetto. It doesn't sound as good. But it's a cultural expression, and what we are doing today, this morning, sitting next to your brother and your sister or whoever you're sitting next to, we're cultivating heavenly culture. And when people say things like, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, well, I don't, I'm not going to argue about it, but, but you're not going to grow spiritually, that's for sure. You take something out of the Petri dish and you separate it away from the culture and what happens? It starts to die. We'll argue the science of it later. I don't know if it actually does, but that's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> but when we cultivate good, healthy, spiritual, godly, biblical culture, then that's what's produced. That's what we respond. That's how we respond. It's not by by culture is not what you do, it's who you are. This is Jesus really internalizing. Try to try to try to think about this for a second. Let it sink in a little. 
internalizing the fact that Jesus did all this stuff and it's how he wants us to represent him too. And maybe not necessarily getting sued, but walking through the process with somebody with a little bit more understanding than just being like, I'm not going to be wronged. Because I like what Paul said. I, I come back to it regularly from Corinthians. He says, why are you guys dragging each other to court? Why not just rather be wrong? He was talking to Christians in the church who were going before an unbelieving judge to go back to the last point, to get justice. Instead of either working it out or why wouldn't you just rather be wronged in this thing? To be sued, to have your tunic taken, to, to, to whatever. Because of look at, the, look at the, the great amount of mercy and grace you have received. Yeah, I wanted to do mean things to that truck driver. But oh, Tim, how much have you been forgiven for? How much greater have you been forgiven than, than cutting somebody off? Oh, God, thanks for humbling me again. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Love your enemies, bless who curse, do good to those who hate you. Is that even possible? How many of you guys have, have enemies? An enemy. Here's the question. Did I say the question yet? No, I didn't. Question number three, why do people hate their enemies? Why do you hate your enemies? And you might be able to come to the conclusion or the correct answer if you think about the last two. Because all three of these things have this in common. Because my enemy is opposed to me. My enemy doesn't want my good. My enemy wants my bad. My enemy wants my defeat. Therefore, if they hate me and they're opposed to me, my pushback is I'm going to destroy you because I want my will. But now God says it, it, it doesn't matter anymore because they in this earth, in this context, have limited to zero power for what's going to end up happening to you. And you, from a cultural, Jesus culture, biblical perspective, have somebody else, your heavenly father, creator of the heavens and the earth, almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, all everything. And he says, you are mine, and I am going to do what's right for you. So therefore, you don't have to worry about revenge. You don't have to worry about your enemy coming for you. And who's if, if we're properly cultured the way that we should be in, in the Lord, what should be our response towards our enemies? It doesn't matter what they want for you. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It doesn't matter what their opinion is. 
even to the, the level of, of physical violence, God can prohibit anything from happening. Do you hear that? Anything! But when we take those situations into our own hands, we say, God, I'm going to need to take care of my enemies because I know that you can't. And God's looking down and seeing his perfect, divine, inspired will for your life and your resistance to submitting to it so that he can take you through the process of revealing his goodness to you. But we're so caught up on what other people think about us or how our enemies are trying to dethrone us. (laughs) Dethrone us. That we're not willing to love them instead. To love them instead of fighting. Fighting for what's ours, what's trying to be taken away from us. And God says, I've given you all that you have, and I'm giving you what you have for tomorrow. So why are you tripping? Why are you? That's what God says. Why are you tripping? He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully, and I love that phrase. I love, I always say the whole thing. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Do you know what that means? It means they are intentionally, knowingly, and now you know, taking advantage of you. And I'm a man. Nobody's going to take advantage of me. He says, pray for them. In fact, tomorrow at five o'clock, we're going to have a new prayer meeting here at Paradise Calvary Chapel. Tomorrow at five, we're going to have a pray for your enemies. How many people do you think are going to come? You guys can't come here to pray for the good stuff. You think you're going to come all the way down here to take some time out of your day to pray some blessings over those who hate you? Well, I hope so. I'll be here. We'll pray together at five for our enemies. We'll pray for those people we know and they know spitefully use us. And this is how we'll pray. God, how can we love them more? But what might happen is we might gather together and start talking about the reasons why there are enemies and then we'll all agree with each other and then we'll have a pity party. We'll go have double doubles or Big Macs or whatever is down the street. You notice how that's sometimes how prayer requests can start. Can you pray for me? I got a prayer request. So this is what's happening. This is why I hate this person so much. No, only me? Okay, fine, whatever. Um, Pray for your enemies. And then here's the kind of the thing that brings it all together. Do you see the progression? There is momentum building. We're not quite to the top yet. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, you guys do these things, and you even love your enemies. Jesus, like I'm going to do, I'm going to demonstrate this for you. I'm going to show you what what God, gospel, kingdom, culture looks like by my response to my enemies when, when the time comes, so that you can be sons and daughters. Sons is a positional phrase, that's all. Sons and daughters of your father perspective in heaven. Outside of this, greater than this, better than this, not this. What is he really saying? This is what he's saying, so that you can be like me. Now remember, it's not so much the letter of the law that we're addressing as much as it's the the culture that we represent. 
What kind of culture do we represent when we have these altercations with the world? When we have these difficulties with non-believers, with our enemies? For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I do have to say, I feel like it's necessary for me to say, I know that things are going to come up. I know that people are going to smack you across the face and spitefully use you and, and pit themselves against you as their enemy. I'm not saying that, that you are prohibited from going to court. I'm not saying that you can't countersue. I'm not saying that, that you can't go through the process of allowing things to happen in the legal way that this government set it up to happen. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I want us to, to do it with the right perspective, with the right intentions, and with the right hearts. And hopefully it doesn't get to that place because the culture that we're representing is greater than the culture that we're most normally experienced or given over to. You know, I had somebody come up to me the other day and they said, they confessed a secret sin to me. And they said, this is what I've been doing. I don't want to do it anymore. This is how I'm going to remedy the thing that I've been doing. This is how I'm going to reverse it and um, want to let you know for accountability and ask you to pray for me. I said, absolutely. Thank you so much for your honesty. But the cool thing about that conversation was this. It wasn't that I told them that they were in sin. This is, this is the funny thing. The funny thing is they didn't even know that that thing was a sin. But for them they realized for them personally that it was. Because no matter how long you're coming to church and hearing the Bible, it's the conviction and power of the Holy Spirit in your life that's going to cause you to change. And I could tell you to do something over and over and over again, and believe me, I still do it on a weekly basis. I can tell people what to do over and over and over and over and over again until I'm blue in the face. And unless there's a Holy Spirit movement in somebody's heart, an expression towards God's goodness and receiving his goodness from him and a response to that, you're just going to continue to look like the rest of the world. And anybody that wants to come, and this isn't a challenge, so leave me alone. Anybody that wants to come argue with me about the fundamentals or the metrics of these verses and how they don't really have to let people take advantage of them, I don't care. Jesus cares, God cares about how you represent him through your life and the things that you do. Jesus wants us to be well-cultured to represent him well as his sons and his daughter. Now, I said that story to say, I didn't even tell that person that he was in sin, but he came to that conclusion through multiple times of fellowship, multiple days a week, and I'm saying not just like a Sunday Christian, I checked that off my list and I'm good to go. He was exposed to a culture that took him, takes him deeper spiritually. Do you guys understand that? That's what we are submitted to. Do you know why we have stuff every day of the week here at, at Paradise? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. I'm not even going to I'm not even going to um, list them to you. You should know by now. If you don't look at a calendar or whatever, the only day we don't do anything, we have a, a church Sabbath, I guess, by default, is Friday. We don't have anything. 
is so that we have uh, availability. We, we give people opportunity. We, we, there's no excuses to be in God's word together. Men's Bible study, women's Bible study, midweek service, Bible college. We have so much stuff for you to sink, sink your toes in and, 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 and wriggle them around in the sand and get grounded in, in good biblical Jesus culture. so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Who cares? If you just love people who say that they love you, what, what does that even mean anything? Even the tax collectors do the same. And if, if, you greet your, if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than the others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? I love how he brings out specifically the tax collectors because yes, they were frowned upon. There was, you know, they, they had forsaken their kingdom. They were identifying with the Romans. They were profiting from the, a relationship with the enemy. But I think that it's greater than that. I really believe that it's greater because he could have said any sin. He could have said a ton of sins that were worse than being a tax collector. And, and even in that culture at that time, there were worst sins. But do you know why he uses tax collector as, as the thing that, yeah, even those sinners do it? Do you know why? Anybody? Because he was a tax collector. Thank you. I can always count on you, sister. I, appreciate, I really appreciate it. He was a tax collector. And those issues in my life, the biggest sins that, that I struggle with, the issues, the areas of my life where my flesh flares up and, and wants to get its way, it's where I've received the most mercy and grace and goodness from God. So when somebody else comes at me like that, man, even the tax collectors do that. What are you doing greater? What am I doing greater in response to the, the magnitude of sins that I've been forgiven for? responding in these ways, knowing that ultimately at the end of the day, God's in charge. Listen, church, it's not a bumper sticker. It's not a, a catchphrase. It's not a slogan. It is truth. It is the reality. God is in charge and, and he sees what's just. He sees the oaths that need to be taken or, or not taken. He sees your enemy coming against you and he says, I'm going to take care of you. Can I tell somebody sitting here this morning, I don't know who you are, but this is a serious internal struggle that you have. Can I tell you, God is going to take care of you. He wants you to know this morning that he has your situation in control. He loves you and he's going to address it and he is going to take care of you. Now stop worrying about it. Stop taking it back into your own hands. Stop scheming and conniving to figure out how to make it work in your favor because his favor is so much greater than any favor you can have for yourself. And if you think I was too emphatic, I wasn't emphatic enough God is going to take care of you. And when we live our lives through that filter, through that gospel, biblical, kingdom, Jesus culture, we will respond differently in these situations. 
Not because we have to, but because it's who we are. Because culture isn't what you do, it's what you are. And that's how Jesus wants you to identify as your heavenly father's sons and daughters. And then my favorite verse, you thought it was getting hard. Jesus is really turning up the fire. And then he says here, I lost my place. Verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Amen? How many of you are perfect? Everybody, you guys were in first service. No, you weren't. Everybody right now, I don't do this very often. I know people get grumpy, but everybody raise your hand. I don't care who you are. Raise your hand up. Raise your hand. Do you know why you're perfect? Because Jesus Christ died for your sins. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failures. And when you cultivate in that biblical gospel culture, you don't have to make yourself do the right thing. The Spirit's going to lead you in the right things to do. What is Jesus saying in that last statement? He's saying, you will never be good enough. (laughs) Be perfect like I am perfect. Be holy like I am holy. Identify your weaknesses, repent, submit to God, receive his gift to you in Jesus Christ. I'm not giving you a free ticket to go do whatever you want. You guys understand that, right? I'm not telling you that you're, we're all okay, even when we're not okay. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you, take your position, your identity, and your place in this culture as a representative or a representation of what he has done for you. That's how we live our lives and we have this biblical, cultural expression. Amen? Let's look at these three questions in closing and again, point back to the reason why they're important for us and how they stand out to us on a personal level. Number one, you can throw it up there, Grant, please. Why do people take oaths or swear? We already know the answer. What's the response? Don't be selfish. Why do people take oaths and and swear? To get something that they want. Well, what, what would prohibit you from doing that in the future? Being kingdom cultured, kingdom minded, not being selfish, not being about what you can gain from every relationship and every interaction that you have with somebody. Number two question, why do people want justice? The response for us as, as cultured Bible-believing Christians, you don't always have to be right or be righted because you are righted already. Positionally, you are righted before God. Therefore, is it that big of a deal? Wouldn't you rather just be wrong to be a representative, a son or daughter representing their father who has given so much? We think We think we deserved it sometimes. I didn't deserve it. That wasn't a just act on my half. That was was just a demonstration of justice by by God towards me, towards you. Number three, why do people hate their enemies? Because my enemies are opposed to me. They're against me. They want my harm. But you have the big picture. You don't have to let people affect you. 
Because the person that you are submitted to is greater than any enemy, any power that anybody could ever have over you. And the way that you respond to them, you demonstrate that. You express that. You know, I love the verse that, that, that Jesus is talking to Pontius Pilate and he says, why are you being quiet, you big dummy? Like, don't you know I have the, I'm paraphrasing, don't you know I have the power for, uh, to kill you or to, to let you go? What does Jesus say? Just calm, cool, collected. He says, you have no power or authority over me that has not been given to you. What if our response to our enemies was like that? We're all bound up and, and frustrated and upset. And our response is, you have no power or authority over me. The only power and authority over me is my heavenly father, who's the creator of all things, who knows exactly how this situation is going to play out, and I'm submitted to him in his hands, and then that's the representation that we have. That's our cultural expression. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word today that we needed to hear, Lord. We, we need to be reminded that, that it, so, so often it's, it's not really about so much the, the things that, that we, we say or the things that we do as much as who we really are. And who we really are, we want to be. We want to be. We want to be more like you. We want to be good representative of who you are. We want to internalize memorize, theorize even, how we would respond to other people based on how you responded to them, but even greater, how you responded to us and how you respond to us. And Lord, I lift up that person, whoever that person is, God, I just pray that you would touch their situation, that they have anxiety about something, an enemy or a situation that is out of their control, and you want them to know that you have got it covered. You are going to take care of them. The only thing they need to do is respond or to consider, to consider that you're in charge and how they respond is going to reflect on you and your glory, and your goodness. God, thank you for all of the people that brought things for potluck today. We pray, Lord, for the, for the provision. We thank you for the provision. We thank you for the fellowship that's going to be had afterward. We thank you, God, for this culture. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the things that you've been doing in people's lives, how your spirit has been moving and reproving and we want you to get all the glory and honor and praise for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.